Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise podcast. We have some exciting news. Shrapnel is going live in 2024. The first ever live Shrapnel podcast is taking place on Friday the 9th of February 2024 at 7pm in Queen's University, Belfast. And they are going to be in conversation with Paul Burgess discussing his new book and experiences that lent to its writing, uh, Wild Colonial Boys. It's going to be a hell of an evening. I'm going to be there, but don't let that put you off. Uh, congratulations to Gareth and Sam as the podcast goes from strength to strength. Now, the other part of the message is we need you to help keep the show on the road, keep the mics on, keep paying the bills so we can keep bringing you conversations like the one you're about to listen to right now. The easiest way to do that is join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for sharing, liking, reviewing, and letting people know. The Tortoise Shack has no ads, no sponsors. We rely on word of mouth, and there's no better endorsement than when you tell someone to go check us out. Shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fragments. Um the Shrapnel Podcast spin-off, and today we're going to field some of the questions that have been sent in through our various channels. Um, so I'm your host, Sam McElwain, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Gareth Mulvenna. Hi, Gareth. Uh, not too bad, Sam. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I think the two of us have had a, a, bit of a, a bit of a cold. The sniffles have arrived, I think. Yeah, I'm going through that time of the year where a sort of inner monologue sounds like Frank Sidebottom. And yeah. it, it's no better when I start talking to people either. Uh, very I, self-conscious. I had a, an afternoon stand out in the cold yesterday on Exposed, but a countryside kind of thing that we'll, we'll get to later on. But yeah, since I came in last night, I've had that, you know, that feeling, that bit of a temperature in your cheeks and the sniffles have started. Yeah, God. Man flu is approaching. Let's get that off. That's it. We need to we need to move somewhere warmer. Maybe uh, if people would want to donate, you know, directly to me and Sam on the pod, we could maybe... Put, a, put together a wee retirement pot and move off to Spain or somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we could do shrapnel from anywhere at all, to be honest. Is that, it's done remotely, so we can sit in Tenerife if you want to send it to our GoFundMe page. Absolutely, even if it's just for the winter months, we'd be happy to go out and spend time there. Yep, yeah. all, all expenses paid, no problem. Yeah, come back in the summer, just for, just for the hot season here. Yeah. I say hot with a bit of a smile, to be honest. <laughs> so we'll, we'll kick off with a few questions that we do have. Um... The first one um, was sent in, and it's so many music subcultures when we were younger were pretty anti or non sectarian. So we think punk, grunge, goth, indie scene. What are those music cultures today? The sort of take away the sectarianism of, of our of our subcultures. Um, Claire goes on, and it's from Claire Mitchell, our, our past guest, and it's our kneecap and young Spencer actually part of the same local hip hop culture despite seeming to be on opposite sides as such, they're speaking to the same social reality. So, Gareth, you're the music expert because I don't think my interest in Bross and Erasia really cover this. So, if you want to have a go at this one. Um, it's an interesting one and it made me, you know, it makes me feel very old, even sort of trying to do research on, on Claire's question because the uh, subcultures, the genres that she talks about are the ones I'd be more familiar with as well and heavy metal, which she left out um, and obviously, you know, it's it's no secret that I've done a lot of research into subcultures and it's something I'm really interested in, so 
And I think also in, in Northern Ireland or Ireland more more generally, it's something, particularly youth subcultures, it isn't probably a well-developed area of research um, in the way that it interfaces with, with violence and, and political unrest. And that's why I ultimately looked at the Tartan gangs, uh, because there was that sort of interface between political violence and subculture, popular culture, music, fashion, everything that was going on at the time in, in early 1970s uh, Britain. So when, when Claire talks about Kneecap and Young Spencer, <clears throat> I have to say I'd only heard briefly about Young Spencer, um, very out of the loop. Um, and again, neither of those um, groups or individuals would be sort of music I'd listen to, really hip-hop. But it's not not to say that it don't show an interest, obviously, in terms of the political sort of dimensions. I think Young Spencer, from what I can tell, I have to be careful how I phrase this, because I'm not speaking from an area of expertise, but I suppose he or they or sort of, you know, the, the, the whole idea of Young Spencer, speaking to sort of like loyalist working class demographic, um, talking about the experiences of what it's like to be a young loyalist for, for, for that um, generation. And I think similarly, Kneecap are doing the same on the Republican side of the fence, although like a lot of things with an Irish or Republican dimension, it's had more universal appeal, which is sort of summed up in the um, profile that Kneecap have now, which is definitely they're, they're, hitting the big time, which, you know, fair play to them. They've, they've worked hard. Um, the only thing I would sort of, the, the only thing, well, there's two things that sort of upset me, not upset me, but sort of like make me um, a wee bit, uh, sort of make me feel very jaded when I look at these supposedly, particularly with kneecap, and I've said this before in the pod, kneecap are meant to be anti-authoritarian, real against the sort of current crop of politicians and this, that and the other. But really, they're talking about the social conditions they live in and they're real against the politicians. But then they're standing beside the same politicians who've been in power for a generation and haven't really, um, as far as I can tell, um, produce better outcomes for, for lads of... Kneecaps generation. I do think, on the other side, some of the kneecap stuff's really funny. Actually, I have to say, I, I find it quite quite hilarious. Some of the stuff I know there was a video they did a few years ago, and it was based on like a IRA press conference, which was um, it was basically parody and direct action against drugs, which we we remember quite well around the time of the the uh, agreement, and it was basically you know. The IRA saying that you know young people here having fun will be kneecapped, but uh, there's a whole thing. But the way they did it was really good because they did the whole thing with the voice actor, you know, dub- dubbing over the guy speaking, and then the guy in the background with the arm light or whatever it was said, you know, remember to mention our name, and he said, I'm gonna fucking do it now, and then it went back to the voice as well, and in the background, the guy's playing the tin whistle or the flute or whatever. It's just like so. I think you know they understand the sort of, you know, parameters of uh of how ridiculous culture can be as well. So they're not they're not stupid. They're they're clever guys. Um now the thing that really 
put me off them. And it's not having a thin skin. I think it's just they're contradicting themselves because they're talking about how I remember they did that great interview where they said, like, you know, we have more in common with somebody on the on the shankle than we do uh, Johnny Big Balls from middle class area, whatever. And then they do that video, you know, Irish for Protestants or whatever it was, and it was about, you know, something, 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 climb up the bonfire, something, 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 fall off the bonfire. So, you know, it was directly related to the, the fellow who'd fallen off the bonfire and died. You know, so that... To me, that's not sort of showing solidarity with your working class neighbours across the, the sectarian divide. It's 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 the same classism and sort of you know mockery of someone's culture and identity that uh, that that's prevalent in middle class comment, commentary of, of 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 the place we live in. Now, it goes back to what Emma Shaw was saying to me. You know, Emma was talking about culture and was talking to us about this culture and. You know, what is culture? What does it mean to people? Can you tell someone that their culture isn't valid? Well, culture, all culture is created and invented. I, I could start a culture tomorrow. I don't understand this idea, you know, that people think, you know, culture isn't valid because, you know, it's not uh, to, to someone's taste because culture's dependent on the ambience of a community. Um, so, to, to be honest, I don't see... There might be more going on at, at the grassroots level between Kneecap and Young Spencer and, and the kids who are listening to this sort of music than I'm aware of. I wouldn't pretend to be an expert, but I certainly don't see it as a as a way of bringing people together. Uh, I see it more as a way of sort of keeping that little little bit of Frankel going between each other. Yeah, I mean, music as, as, a, as a subculture and making political statements has been around for years, but we've, we've always done it. Um, but it's, again, Claire's talking about two groups that I really don't have an in-depth knowledge of um, because I'm just old and they're outside my genre. But if she's talking about the likes of the, the punk and the goth music uh, and the, and she did mention rave music at one point. Um, I can remember that. I did say that time when Jordan Dunbar was on the pod, we used to head down to the parliament because we could go there without being overseen by people from nefarious backgrounds. You, you could be free. You could just be yourself. You didn't feel as if you had to come from one side or the other. So I do see the, the sort of legitimacy in, in, in the cultures that take the sectarianism out of it. And the kids do enjoy it. Um, I don't know enough about, as I said, two groups that we're talking about to say whether they do it or don't do it. I, I really don't. And I don't think I'd ever want to, to be honest. I'm not going to go down that line. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's it's good to see the subcultures are, and we do have a, an active interest in subcultures, whether that be through music. Um, and I'm particularly interested in the the football subculture at the minute with the, the rise of the ultras, mm-hmm. replacing the old firms as such uh, back in the day. Uh, some of the stuff is, is brilliant, but even you can see the political tinge starting to come into that with the, the Green Brigade at Celtic a couple of yeah. weeks back being banned uh, for making political statements. Across Europe, they are that, and I I can go through some of the social media pages that they they use, and you can see there's left wing and there's right wing. Um, there's anti immigration and there's pro immigration. There's 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 underlying currents even to that subculture. So though this should be a subculture and it should all be about the football and that that's it. It should be about supporting your team. To a certain extent, it is, but underneath it, there are some political leanings there, and we we've seen. Um, last weekend, the the mobilisation of of some of the ultra groups in England, who turned up at the cenotaph. Um, 
And again, that that brought me back to your book, Gareth. That really did. That brought me back to that. that there was a gang culture there of the Tartans that could be mobilized and used uh, in, in any situation. So I, I was watching the stuff that was going on in London and watching the Ultras gathering together and going, this is exactly what happened with the Tartans. I mean, they, they were brought into a bigger cause uh, and they were a ready-made grouping and they, they could be organized and they were... They were active. They were physically active on the ground. So, yeah, I, I could see the subculture there. But going back to Claire's one, the music, um, yeah, definitely. If, if there's music out there, they can link everybody in Northern Ireland. I would like to hear it. <laughs> but I don't well, know if it's going to be kneecap or not. As long as it's not Snow Patrol. Um, more, more. Uh-huh. what I'm saying is more kneecap and less Snow Patrol, um, if that's <laughs> yeah. the way we're going to head. Um, yeah. but no, I love uh, Divine Comedy for me, like to be honest. Yeah, well, that's, that's absolutely a good shout. Um but no, it's it's one of those things. I don't want to speak with any level of. I don't want to pretend I've got any expertise because, again, this music, these subcultures appeal to people far younger than me. I'm forty three. Um, they don't speak to the experience I have, so I'm not going to sort of try and put the sort of you know sociologist hat on and you know pretend that. Um, I really understand, you know, these groups and what what they're trying to do. I just know on the surface level, um, to me, it's 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 interesting. I'm tr- I'm still trying to figure out sometimes with kneecap what they're what they're about because sometimes they do really interesting things. Sometimes they do things that just sort of make me think that's really depressing. It's really backwards, and I'm sure I don't know enough. I'm I'm being honest, and it's not like one side or both side or whatever phrase people want to use about this I honestly don't know enough about Young Spencer I only had a quick look at some of the YouTube videos and I mean I, th- I think one one person we're not talking about here is um, and I'm hopefully pronouncing this right uh, Yun Zhu Yun Zhu um, who is a rapper from a loyalist background um, and he, he he's actually he's really interesting he actually supported Kneecap I think at one of their recent gigs and I know his background's in Rathcool. Um, you know, so again, some of his messages are a wee bit more sort of, you know, I think he did one called Here Lies a Soldier. And it was about, uh, I'm not going to say with any authority what it's about because it's a long time since I listened to it. But what I remember was it was basically, you know, there's no glamour in the past. Let's move this thing forward without being a sort of peacenik about it. Because yeah. like, I'm not going to say, you know, kneecap shouldn't be doing what they're doing because at the end of the day that's a community that's been harmed by conflict there's a culture um there of of militancy and resistance towards uh british rule so at the end of the day i haven't had that experience so i'm not going to pretend to know all the nuances of it but as a as an observer from the outside i, I can look at them with the detachment that look at any sort of culture um which means i'm not particularly well informed of the nuances so that's all i would say but i can't i can't see you know that's my get out of jail free card but you know i think the 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 problem just to round off would be a lot of times here culture even the most vanilla culture can be uh sectarianized and you know we saw that back in the early 70s you know it's it's all where, where people are divided there always be the potential for conflict and until we get a sort of bit like what you said with the rave um saying i think that was the one true essence the one true moment in popular culture in northern ireland 
where we uh, got the two communities together. And you yeah. see the fruits of that now because the people who went through that process now are probably the people who are doing the heavy lifting of community relations in the in the present. I agree with you. And just a quick one, I think it was from Stephen on Twitter, uh, something else that we've, we've discussed off air, we'll, we'll give a quick mention to, uh, the question was, with the riots in Dublin this week, could ever exit be given lifeblood? To be honest, I don't have enough insight into what's happened politically in the South to give an authoritative answer on that. Um, is there an issue at the minute with the left and the, and the right in, in the South and how they're managing it? Yeah, it's clear for everybody outside the fishbowl to see. But as for the, the nuanced answer of is there any sort of movement towards leaving the EU because of this? I don't honestly know. Um, well, this would be one for the boys in the South, the answer. Yeah, I think so. And one thing I would caution against is um, if you're talking about our exit, which, you know, there's plenty of graffiti around where I live calling for our exit. And has been for the last four or five years. Just look at Brexit and the absolute, you know, uh, bedroom farce that's created in politics. It it's given the elites in in um, Westminster the power to do whatever they want, and it's left everybody else with nothing. And yeah. you know, I think I I don't have any expertise about what's going on. It's a bit like the last question. Don't have any expertise about what's going on in Dublin. Okay, so let's the, move on to the next question. We yeah, might have so, a bit of expertise about. <laughs> but no, it, do, it does. It brings a passion out of thinking, you know, because we, we've experienced hate in this society where, where we grew up and where we live. So we don't want to see it being spread anywhere else, particularly yeah. based on people's cultures. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Let's go for this one. What, what, what have we got now? Well, the next question doesn't, it, it's not any lighter, to be honest, but. Um, it's basically, it's from David Sinclair, and he said, as a Scotsman living in England, it's very interesting and educational, the podcast. So thanks, David Sinclair. Thank you. And he says, my question is, if Scotland were to go independent, what impact, if any, do you think it would have on Northern Ireland? In my opinion, you can see the two issues, Scottish independence and Irish unification, starting to interact with each other, especially with the openly close relationship between Sinn Féin and the Scottish National Party. Yeah, I think I think that's more a case of my enemy's enemy is my brother situation politically. Um, I don't know whether Sinn Féin and the SNP would be good bedfellows in general, but they, they have a, a common cause, and if they can feed off each other and, and sort of push each other's, each other's causes forward, then they, they'll do that. Um, Scottish independence, if it was achieved, was certainly add fuel to the, the sort of burning fire for a referendum here, whether or not it would sort of... See, this could go two ways. If if there's a Scottish referendum and it goes as badly as Brexit, you might find that you you burn a few fingers over here as well. People worried about going through a Brexit and whatever they go through their situation and rocking the boat even further. Or, as I said, it, it could be the case of it just adds momentum to the breakup of, of the UK. Um, the difference, see, there, there is a difference here. The SNP are, are looking for independence. Um we're not looking for independence here, according to our referendum. We're looking to reunite with the South. So there, there is a different dynamic here, what's going on. Um, they, They're going to set up their own government and run their own country, and they'll be in charge where the people in Northern Ireland, to a certain extent, won't be. They'll just be feeding into another system. 
So it, it is slightly different. If, if the SNP were leaving the UK to join with Ireland, then the situation would be identical. And I know there's a lot of common ground with it. Um, but I think it's more to do with momentum, this question. I think it's more to do with if Scotland went, it would add it would add momentum to that call. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that's, you know, it's a debate that's been going on for quite a while now, and it will probably go on for, for quite a while in the future until anything changes. But, you know, one thing I would say is we we, we have two good friends who've written a book about this recently, uh, friend James Greer and Graham Walker, both um, formerly from Queens, and they wrote the book uh, Ties of Bind. And, you know, it might be worth uh, actually member sharing them last year when the book came out. We should get them on the pod, but we were inactive at the time. Um, but I think one of the things that people maybe don't appreciate that they've touched on is the sort of emotional ties between Ulster and Scotland. And I think that might be it's catastrophic for probably people from, from your side of the fence, Sam, you know, people who have that sort of very real lineage going back to, you know, Ulster Scots and Scottish heritage and the sort of transfer of people back and forth across the Irish Sea. So I think, you know, people have to take into account the important emotional link there as, as well as the relationships that have been developed over the years. So if Scotland were to go independent, it would be really interesting to see what the effect would be, particularly on Northern Irish unionists and loyalists. Um, but I think it does speak to a larger debate about what's happening with the union, ultimately. And I had a great conversation uh, during the week with a, a gentleman who said that if you lived on the North Coast, it was easier to get to Scotland than it was to Galway. Back yeah. in the days kind of thing, it was just so much easier to sail across to Campbelltown or wherever. And and the Ulster-Scots connection that there is there. Um, and you can see that to a certain extent, that's how the referendum in Scotland was fought. It was fought down those sort of sectarian, maybe not the right word, but, you know, it's... It was fought down those lines. You had those who were they were happy to be British and had that link, and then there was others who weren't. And it seemed to fall between the two, the two sides, the two genres, and that. Um, but again, there was a referendum, and it didn't go the SNP's way. Uh, and I think that's another lesson for people here as well: is they didn't get it the first time, but they'll go a second time and a third time. The, the once in a generation line didn't really sort of bear fruit. So we'll be the same here. That's what's making me nervous. If we go through a very bitter and divisive referendum and it comes out saying in the favour of the way I would like to stay within the UK as such, do we have another one in seven, eight, nine, ten years? Do we do we do we keep opening that wound? Do we keep bringing that that rhetoric into it? Does it just keep going until finally it goes against my my wishes as such? Um, yeah, uh, it, it's sort of one of those ones. That it, it's a never ending battle. For those within unionism to look at, I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you fight an election continuously like that. It, it's going to be attritional to a certain extent. Um, so the, I, I, the legitimate calls for a thirty-two county state from from those who wish it is is, is there, but it's it's the impact it's having on their neighbours, and they really do. I really do feel that sometimes that they, the outreach that they have. Is not doing them any favours. They're they're not doing a lot at the minute to convince a lot of people from my community that's the way forward. Yeah, interesting times ahead. I mean, it's. I mean, these debates were going on before Brexit, so Brexit's only sort of magnified a lot of the frictions that are that are occurring. So I I, I don't know really 
it's it would have an effect, but only I think in the the way that Ulster Protestants, Ulster Unionists, Ulster Loyalists view the relationship of the of the union overall. I don't think um, it would have much impact on sort of anyone else on the island of Ireland or in the north of Ireland. I suppose the other thing as well, looking at it from a completely pragmatic point of view, if Scotland left, the pool of uh, non-English voters within the UK would be reduced even further. You'd feel really like the poor cousins sometimes, I think. I mean, that's just just like taking a view that might be there. Um, yeah, it would be completely English-centric, which is probably the way it is at the minute, but it's just, it just gives us less of a cha- less of a pull kind of thing, maybe. It's an interesting this discussion to have and how it will work going forward. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, next question, I suppose, really. Yeah. Um, okay, this, this, this one, this one coming from Chris um, about the peace lines. Um, the peace lines, Stuart Muirhead. No, Stuart Muirhead. Sorry, Stuart. Apologies. Yeah. No, I'll, that's okay. Um, I'll, I'll fill that one or, so Stuart had asked this before, but we didn't get round to it. But it's a really good question, and I think um, it's 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 a good one to tackle. Again, the subject matter never gets um, lighthearted in shrapnel. It's always heavy subjects. So, but that's what we're here for. That's that's the reality of of the situation we're in. Um, so first of all, Stuart um, says thanks, guys. It's this is a great podcast. So well. Thanks, Stuart. Really appreciate your support, as we do with everybody who um, takes the time to listen to us. Just two guys from Belfast. Um, So Stuart says, with people talking about a united Ireland, why is the issue of the peace lines never mentioned in the discourse? With demographic change, Sinn Féin's growth, etc., everyone seems to forget these hulking great walls and fences. When do you think they can come down? As an interested outsider, I visited interface areas and realise that they mark the place out as an abnormal society? Are people getting ahead of themselves talking about border poles, etc., when they still exist? It is a fair comment, and Stuart, thanks for listening in and your your feedback. Um, having grew up in the Shankle, and having had peace lines on either side of us, um, there is a conversation to be had around them. First of all, I'd probably say that, at the minute, they're generating business. We have a, a vibrant tourist trade, and they... they if you go up Lanark Way, some days you can't see the wall for buses that are parked up on the curb. Um, so does that? I suppose you do, do. You take them away, or you keep them as a some sort of a memorial memorial kind of thing to what, what happened here. But the first thing I would say is people have in the in the past talked about this. Usually, Alliance, to be honest, have brought up taking down the walls, and the local communities usually say no. Um, there was a local. A uh, shopping precinct built up on the Crumman Road there. Uh, Dunn stores went into it. And the car park was open from either end, from Ardoin and from the Shankill end. And there was running battles for a couple of weeks. We created another interface. The communities aren't quite ready to be there yet. So as much as everybody else in the leafy suburbs or the nicer areas where they don't have an interface can talk about moving forward, there are communities there whose back wall is a bit higher than normal. Um, I used to live around the Lower Old Park and my back wall on occasion was, yeah, it was taller than the house. But every year the bricks still seemed to get over the top of that wall and come down. You had to park your cars two streets away to make sure it wasn't battered overnight. Um, 
we slept with mattresses up against the back windows in case the glass came in. Uh, yeah, it was, it was living beside the interface gives you a different outlook in life. And although I, in a in a sort of ideal situation, I would love to see them come down and, and the community sort of getting on with day to day, still not quite there yet. We still have those tensions, we, and especially with the two two tectonic plates rubbed together uh, is where we have the issue. So I think there's work needs to be done in those communities. Um, around the walls coming down, I don't think it's a decision that can be made up on the hill or Westminster or anywhere else. I think it's a decision that needs to be made on the ground. And there needs to be a hundred percent community buy-in from both sides of that wall. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, and I know there have been studies done on this, and you know, the evolution of the peace walls. That you know, the late sixties when the British Army came over, the peace walls were initially just corrugated fences and sandbags and a bit of barbed wire. Whereas now they're part of the infrastructure, really. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting. And again, we can see this through a very Belfast-centric lens, but. Um, I think that's where the epicenter of the issue around peace walls lies. And like anything with reconciliation and sort of people wanting to expedite the process of reconciliation to get to where they want to be, it can often be the people who don't live in the areas that are affected by um, the issues that we're talking about that want the peace walls taken down. And you've alluded to that earlier. It's most oftentimes... And again, I open to be contradicted in this by yourself or listeners. Most times it's people who live in areas like the Shankle or the Falls or, you know, Hillview or, you know, places in North Belfast that want the walls to stay up for the time being until they feel, you know, confident that um, the bitterness has, has sort of faded away a bit um, and, and means that they can live side by side. Now, I suppose people do sort of interact more than they would have done a couple of generations ago. Um, we've, we've come out. I mean, I think we're more divided as a people than maybe we were during, during the troubles, but there is certainly more um, room for interaction in terms of the spaces that we have. I mean, even thinking about, you know, the Ballygo Martin Tesco, I mean, the idea um, 20 years ago that you would have had somebody in an Antrim GA top in Ballygo Martin would have been, you know, unthinkable. Whereas now it just seems to be normal. So, I mean, there are little sort of uh, signs of normality, but I think it's like that. It's, you have to remind yourself that you know, when it gets to 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock and it begins to get dark, then the gates are closed again. When nighttime falls, the gates yeah. are closed and you know people feel a bit of, bit of the danger again. And, you know, it, it, it just it reminds me there's a park across the road from where I live. It's a famous one, you know, it's one Kenneth Branagh um, film in Belfast depicted because it's the area he grew up in as a child and that's the park, Alexander Park, that became divided with a peace wall. Um, and even now, although the, the gate's open, there's still ostensibly a Catholic playground and a Protestant playground. So, you know, while we have society divided like that, it's it's not healthy on the surface, but for people who are trying to manage day to day and and work their way through conflict out the other side, it probably is a way of managing that. And it's not for people who don't live in those areas. It's not for people in government to suddenly say, you know, these walls need to come down because yeah. yeah. I suppose it's sometimes like the prisoners have been in any length of time, the walls become a security blanket of some description for them. 
Yeah. And when they're exposed to to, to the openness, sometimes it, it, it's hard to take. Um, so I would say the same. People who live with the peace lines behind them and, and, and around them have got used to them and don't see them as oppressive anymore. They see them as protective. And taking those down is going to take a bit of work. Um, but to do that, we need to address the social issues in the area. And we need to address how we educate our children and the segregation issue. I mean, you're talking there about two playgrounds in the one park. Segregation still there. It's like, yeah, we, we, we wonder why those kids then will grow up the way they, they grew up and, and look at the walls in a different way. Well, I think um, it's interesting as well, Sam. You know, I mean, we've we know people of the generation that you know got involved in the in the conflict, and you know, we've talked to them, and they talk about when they were kids. You know, in the nineteen fifties, sixties, you know, living on um, what are now interfaces. That although there weren't walls at that time, there were invisible barriers. Yeah. Where you knew you'd stepped into a different community, you know, once you turned the corner of a into another street, you know, it wasn't that there was a wall, but there was definitely an invisible wall that you'd you'd come through and you were now in territory which you weren't entirely comfortable in. And that that's that comes from conditioning and from the stories that are handed down from your families, from people you go to school with, from people in your community, people who you sit in the pub with. It's it's about um, building up an image of the other community. I think that's where we'll have to do the hard work, and that's it. Goes back to what Davy Adams was saying on the podcast last week, the week before, and um, talking about the, the Good Friday Agreement and how it's great to have these things on paper and people pat themselves on the back. But unless we do the hard work of reconciliation, then we're not going to get to the stage where we're able to take the walls down because people have to be reconciled before any any of the barriers are taken away. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a great question, and in in the future and in our hearts, especially with me and Gareth, it, the walls should come down and we should be able to live as, together as a better society. But at the minute, the reality is that they need to be there. They they, yeah. they just have to be until we until we deal with the issues around it and until we deal with the communities and sort of find out what they want and why they feel more secure with them there, then they stay. Yeah. Well, I've got... One last question uh, for this this episode of Fragments, and it comes from um, our good friend Christopher, Christopher Owens. Christopher um, sent in the following question. He said, recently there was a discussion on Twitter. Always on Twitter, isn't it, Sam? It's, Always on Twitter. Yeah. <sighs> recently there was a discussion on Twitter between the Irish story and the old Royal Irish Constabulary accounts. The former had put up a few articles to coincide with the 1920 Bloody Sunday uh, due to it being the anniversary and the latter suggested that going over old ground kept wounds open although one account argued that there was hypocrisy going on as the RIC account also shares articles about the War of Independence. While not surprising it did make me think about the line between historical research and muckraking and I'm not certain that people appreciate the difference between the two. In this world of alternative facts and my truth, is it a thankless task being a historian or a researcher? I, I'm, um, I'm nodding here, but that's a question for you, mate. That really is. But I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to muck break old ground in terms of what I've worked on, but yeah, it's it's absolutely thankless unless you're being paid a sort of reader or professor's wage or something like that. And then it might sort of, you know, sweeten the deal slightly. But certainly, uh, like the Irish story and, and the folk there are good folk, um, 
trying to sort of keep the past alive, but in an educational sense, or find new avenues to explore the past, it is thankless because there's always going to be somebody who'll have a completely different view of history, and it's not always articulated in the best way. I mean, it goes back to the idea we can disagree agreeably, and, um, you know, a lot of the time... This isn't the way things are done on Twitter. Now, this episode... It's the old Twitter bit. The old Twitter. <laughs> this this one um, was interesting because basically, well, to give context, the RIC came back and said, these are good articles, John, but are we really going to play out each individual atrocity, murder, and assassination on the end of the sloop year after year? Surely we put this to bed in the decade of centenaries. There is nothing new to add to the stories of November 1920 or the entirety of 1919, 1920 and 1921 until we shed some new information. Um, and all this does is feed sectarianism, hatred and distrust on all sides and keeps an open wound open. I know this is not your intention, but current events should be teaching us that reconciliation and understanding is a better way forward. Though that said, I only see increasing anti-British and anti-Jewish malevolence in the island of Ireland at the moment and for the foreseeable future. Again, we'll not touch the last bit of that because we've already yeah. sort of maybe touched on that. But what what is interesting there, it reminds me of our own situation here in, in Northern Ireland because what we now have is a legacy bill, which I think the intention fully is to draw a line under the past, to stop inquests, to get a bit of truth recovery or bring in a mechanism that looks at um, trying to fulfill the need for truth recovery and then basically say, don't talk about the, tr- the war anymore. It's over. We'll take the peace walls down. We'll, we'll all live harmoniously. All that will be forgotten overnight once we have this leg- legacy legislation and, and the sort of, uh, you know, the mechanisms around truth recovery and, and reconciliation, which is uh, part of the ICRIR remit. But no, it is thankless. And I think, you know, there's no harm in reminding people about the past because there's always going to be generations coming through that need reminded because the logic of this argument that's being put in the court of the Irish story is, well, should we not have uh, Holocaust Memorial Day because it's just dredging up the past and, you know, the past has to be dredged up. It has to be talked about. It has to be, you know, conveyed for gener- generations coming in behind. Now, that's one of the problems I think we have in Northern Ireland, that young people now don't really understand what went on here in the past, that don't appreciate the meaning behind the motifs that they're singing about, that don't really fully appreciate what people had to live through here, the trauma that people suffered. And if we just don't mention these things, well then, surely that gives people, you know, the opportunity to sort of trivialise the past and, and, you know, it becomes a sort of trading game where, you know, people can sing up their R up the UVF and not think of the substance behind what they're saying and the people that are really being affected by it. So there is a difference between historical research and muckraking. There are people who muckrake. There are people who do historical research. But in between there are people who just want to commemorate the past and I think that's completely valid yeah you know, I was asked a question a while ago by a, f- a friend on Twitter uh, JK um, about this as well about commemoration and how we deal with it here and why is it f- 
why is it not all right and why is it why is it all right kind of thing and, it, and I give them the same answer it's a double-edged sword you know if you don't remember the past correctly you you feel repeated kind of thing but then on the other hand we do have those occasions where commemorating the past is rubbing salt in the wind for others you know so it's it's how we do it I think it's it, we do it. Um, Remembering Sunday's another one of those ones that you throw in there. That if we don't remember that the sacrifice is made, we're doomed to repeat it. But then we are repeating it anyway. If you want to look around the world at the minute, are we at ever peace? Really, there's always something going on somewhere, and tragedy and horror. Um, commemorations are a really touchy subject. Legacy is a really touchy subject. Northern Ireland is a really touchy subject. I mean, we're post-conflict. As in the conflict itself is over, but we're not post-conflict yet. As in, it still lives within our hearts and our heads. It still there's people who lived through it, and there's people who are now living through it. Still, it's it's how how we deal with that. But as far as research goes, muckraking, if it's done with good intentions, and if it's done from an academical or a, looking for a benefit for the community, then it's research. If you're doing it to stir the pot and poke at other people, then it's muckraking. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 you know, I've had it before where you know I've been accused of making money off people's suffering. Um, yeah. You know, I never went out with the intention to re-traumatize people, and I think majority of people understand that. And I certainly didn't make any money off it. Well, not not any substantial amount of money. So. It is. It is to come back to Christopher. It is a thankless task, and it's it's one of the reasons why, as somebody who who isn't a professional historian, you know, and, and and doesn't work in academia, it's something you know I I'm very reticent to touch anymore because the amount of effort you put in to try and to sort of get the stories, get the information, put it all together, and try and add to people's knowledge, well, the amount of crap you get at the end of it just doesn't you know balance out the effort and. You know, I think ultimately, you know, if people end up feeling that way, it means that there'll be less good historical research in the future. Yeah. Um, but that's... But then, yeah. we had Jordan Dunbar on recently, and yeah. his his investigation, his research into the murder of an RUC officer, I think that needed to be done. You know, yeah. that... that that was a muckrake and that and he, and he handled it in such a way he didn't point fingers at certain individuals and say you're bad it, he did it in a way that commemorated Darren's life um, and gave us a bit of background information for the amount of people who I have talked to about that who don't remember that incident at all never mind any of the detail that falls in behind it and it's the same as, as Darkly the other week the amount of young people and even people my age I spoke to about Darkly who just didn't it didn't register. And amongst all the other horror that was going on, Darkly was forgotten about, even though it, it, it did touch me more uh, personally because it was, it, to me, it just seemed to be so brutal. Yeah. On a couple of different levels. First of all, it, it was a church hall. I mean, yeah. and as bad as it seems, it wasn't an orange hall or a GAA club or a, a, a political party's office. And, and that's still wrong. That's so evil as well. But yeah. we sort of accepted that they were legitimate targets. And I'm using the word legitimate here with my fingers and the bunny rabbits and everything yeah, else. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. none of them were legitimate, but they were they were told. But a church hall full of people singing a hymn was targeted. The second bit that really got me was 
they they ran out of bullets and then they paused and reloaded and went again. That takes a certain calibre of evil to do that and a certain calibre of detachment. And last but not least was the recording. We were yeah. able to actually listen to the, the final moments of, of that. It was it was a horrendous one, so darkly stuck with me. And again, yeah. there are probably a million other ones that happened during the Troubles that didn't stick with me. That's just my one that stuck with me. But we got to the situation where we, where we forget about some of this stuff. And I, I don't think we should be commemorating just for the sake of commemoration. But if there's research to be done into that, if there's something that we can do to show a, a different dimension or to give people full details, then yeah, I would say yeah. But muckraking is, is something, me and, me and yourself, Gareth, we fully uh, agree on. Yeah. Don't do it if you're gonna if you're gonna cause hurt to the families involved the first time round. We do not want to re-traumatize people. No, and I mean just just as a final obser- observation on this, and it's maybe something we'll talk about over the coming uh, months and years. But you know this idea of reconciliation and truth recovery. Mm. I mean, as you know, Sam, a lot of the research that I d- did do recently was on you know a lot of people who were killed in the early seventies in the most brutal ways, and you know. Nobody was ever convicted of their murders. You might have a fair idea of who who might have been involved. Yeah. Um, but you know, if a family member's coming forward now, hoping for information or some sort of peace of mind, you sure as hell can bet that the people who are involved in those sort of murders aren't going to come forward and say, "Actually, it was me that was involved in that that killing." You know, it, um, I did this in nineteen seventy two. Um, this is how it happened. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So, look, I don't understand what the benefit is for victims and survivors and, and families because I think the majority who haven't already received justice aren't going to get the truth or justice that they, they so desire. Um, and it's just re-traumatizing people. Now, that might all be thrashed out as things go along, but... I don't think, and that comes back to the peace walls and the idea of division, I don't think we'll ever be a society that are completely at at ease with ourselves or with our past. I think it'll always live within us. And, you know, that's going back to what Christopher was saying there. There'll always be a need to remind people of of what happened. Um, And and just to tie those sentiments up in in the the one sort of quick uh, sort of story, if you wish, Yesterday, uh, I visited the the city cemetery, the Glenelina part in, in particular, um, with Father Martin McGill and Jim Deeds. Um, and they invited me up because I'd been saying for quite some time about different tours and stuff. But, but me and Martin had got talking about, I have grandparents buried up there and we don't get up. Because after the sort of troubles kicked off and the, the demographics changed of the area, it became a nationalist Republican area. And our graves were Protestant and Unionist kind of thing. Um, and if we went to that part of the cemetery, the only people going to that part of the cemetery were, were going to be Protestant and you stood out like a sore thumb. And whether it was just within our own psyches that we were being watched or we would be pinpointed or followed, it, it became a thing. So the graves have went into such disrepair. And it, it's always been a bone of contention and, and a bit of pain to my family circle about how my grandparents serve. The graves just went so bad. So I've been up a couple of times. We sort of knew where we were going, but we weren't really spot on with where we were. So thanks to Martin and to Jim 
we were able to track down exactly where the plot was. Um, and, and if anybody wants to see a picture of it, I'll show you because it's just a bit of grass. There's there's no marking, there's no layout, there's no there's no way to know that there's a grave there other than the fact that you're in a graveyard. Um so it it it's sort of we're back to that about how we are allowed to commemorate and move on and those peace walls and the, the walls within our own cells that even yesterday and, and with company it's still still a bit bit shaky and nervy to be there because even searching for the grave you you, you look as if you, you don't belong there because you don't know what you're doing you're searching for something you feel as if you're standing out like a sore thumb even more than before but I think I think thanks to Martin and Jim. I was able to locate the family grave and we will certainly go up and try and mark it in some shape or form and try and get to the position that we're, we're happier going up and spending time there. And they've offered that out to anybody who wants to. There's been a few people on Twitter have been chatting about it and I've messaged a few guys. If if you want to find the family graves, if you want to go up and pay your respects or if you want to just go up and know that it's there, um, contact myself or contact Father Martin McGill or, or Jim um, and we will facilitate just to go up I don't know what you want to do with it. I don't know whether I mean, I, don't, I know older members of my family won't go up because it's just still within them that they can't go up. Um, they just it's not it's not viable for them. But I'll certainly be going up on a on a more regular basis. Um, but it's just if anybody else out there is listening and have family buried in the city cemetery or or Glen Alina, give me a shout. Give Martin McGill a shout. Give Jim Deeds a shout because between the three of us, somebody will get you up and we'll, we'll find the grave. Because again, most of them will probably be unmarked. Yeah, and those are the small acts of reconciliation that will move this place forward. Yeah, that that they're they're real. Yeah, re- acts of reconciliation. They, yeah. they if they have impact, they they actually do work. I mean, I know Tom Hartley done massive amounts of work a couple of, a couple of years ago about the city cemetery and got grave records updated and give tours and stuff. And there's some some fantastic sort of bits in there. I mean, the parents of C.S. Lewis are buried there. The parents of James Craig are buried there. Graves are in disrepair and fading, but they're there. It, it's also something that could be. I mean, if you go to Berlin, if you go to Rome, you can visit graveyards, and they're almost touristy in the in their historical context. Sometimes of who's in there, the the great and the good. Um, it's something that could be, that we could use as well. But and it's also a fantastic walk and a fantastic facility for anybody. I know it's a graveyard, and people would say it's disrespectful. But if you have, if you need to go out for a walk and get fresh air, it's another fantastic place to be and gather your thoughts. But the main, the main thrust of what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of I went up for yesterday was to locate a family grave and to hopefully show others that we can do this. So if you're if your family's up there and you feel as if you can't, or if you're abroad and you want the grave visited, give me a shout. I'll see what I can do, and we'll, we'll try and get something organised. Absolutely brilliant, Sam. Well, I think I think we're taking up enough people's time today. This will be out the sort of tail end of next week. Um, we've just been discussing off where we've got a fairly busy schedule up before Christmas. There's a few Christmas there's rush. a few names on there that yeah that we're really looking forward to, and we just need to nail down dates. Um, but we will throw in another fragments before the end of the new year. Yeah. Um. So we're throwing it out there. If anybody's any questions they want to ask or things they they need addressed. Give us a shout before then. Uh, we will be we will be recording. Hopefully not over through Christmas because you know family no, time. Um, absolutely no way. Yeah. <laughs> so over the next couple of weeks, we will be getting this done. So if you have any other questions, give us a shout through the usual channels. You know where to get us. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been another good one. Thank you for those who contributed today. 
Yeah, thanks for your support.